happy Sunday. Good morning. Thank you, thank you, thank you for listening to the podcast. Sunday, uh, oh, geez, August 2nd. Well, I'm so glad I'm doing the podcast today because I would have never looked at the date. And today is actually my uh, parents' 40th wedding anniversary. So I will be calling them as soon as we hang up from the podcast here. Uh, th- no, thank you for listening. I'm going to be solo again. I'll explain why. It was solo last week. Last week was on purpose because last week you know, I was out of Chautauqua Lake. Just didn't really have time to put a podcast together. But I can always just flip this thing on and talk. But uh, this week, it, it's funny. The reason I'm solo is because I went Thursday morning to Oak Hill and hung out with historian Fred Belts. And the idea was that that was to be the podcast, right? I was going to interview him. And that would be what you'd be about to listen to right now. Well, I get there, and there's Fred, and Fred's a great guy, and he's very friendly. And we sit down to breakfast, and he wants to do a, a sort of a rehearsal. You know, he doesn't want any. I get, I don't, I, you know, I don't know. I guess he just he wants to control the message, which is fine. You know, there, I wasn't up to anything not good. You know, everything I was looking to highlight about Oak Hill was the interesting points about the history. Now, just to cut to the end of the story, just so you know. Uh, we're still going to do that episode. It's just not in the can yet because he didn't want it to be, uh, he wanted to do a, a rehearsal of sorts, right? So um, we are going to do it and we're going to actually record it this week and it's probably going to air in two weeks because I have another episode coming before that, which is a little more timely, which I'll explain in a second. But anyway, that was one of those things where I remember, God, it's just, I remember this being a pet peeve in radio. It didn't happen that often, but, you know, that food and wine show I used to do on Saturdays, that that show would be pre-recorded, you know, like half the time. And that was just because it was airing on Saturdays at noon. So getting me and the guest both available on a Saturday at noon was just not easy. So if either I wasn't available or they weren't available, we would just pre-record it. it. And it basically made it so that if I stuck to doing it live... I was going to be stuck with whatever guest was available on Saturday at noon. But if I was willing to record it ahead of time, then I could get pretty much anyone I wanted. And the inter- the, the show was about the interview anyway. It wasn't about being live or in the moment. And so I never had any problem recording that show. So I recorded it at least half the time. And a lesson I learned pretty early on was never, ever, ever, ever let somebody hear the interview before it airs because they will always tell you it can't air <laughs> i know that sounds bad no i have a couple examples i i have exam people they want to know if they can hear it ahead of time they're worried about how they answered this or how they answered that legitimately i have one example of somebody giving a terrible answer to a question and i'll give and i'll tell you that in a second but for the most part the answers that they're worried about themselves giving that they think didn't sound good for the most part they're always fine nobody cares they're not about important things i had this one guy who uh i wanted to interview me at a very popular chain of restaurants still does here in town um you know very famous for wings okay and i wanted to get the owner of this particular establishment but he couldn't be bothered to come on so he sent in a general manager and the general manager and I have a decent little discussion and we talk about you know how they make their wings and where they get their wings and blah 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 blah. you know we just we do this interview it's great it's just like all the other food show interviews 
And then the owner wants to hear the interview. And I knew it as soon as I sent it. I go, he's going to have a million problems with this interview. And uh, sure enough, I get word immediately, this interview can't air. Well, why can't it air? Well, because he should have answered this like that and that like this. And I'm going, come on. And by the way, all the complaints, like when you drill down and get specific, it's just control. It's just somebody who's a control freak. You know, the guy owns the joint and this is the general manager. So this is a guy who's one below the owner. So the owner would have answered a little bit differently than the general manager answered. And so he just, he has to control everything. So he says, nope, nope, can't air. And in the meantime, I'm going, well, then why the hell didn't you come in for the interview? You know, I told you I was available Monday through Friday from 11 a.m. to 5 p.m. You couldn't find an hour to come in for your free advertising, by the way. Free advertising. That was why it was so easy. I loved to do I'll be honest with you. I loved doing that food and wine show. I, uh, I loved making connections in the restaurant industry. It benefited me greatly, too, from a business standpoint. I'm not going to lie, but I just loved their stories. It was as, as genuine as it sounded. It was just, I loved their stories. And, um, you know, I, I missed, I do miss doing that one show, that food and wine show. Uh, I missed, I missed the connection with the restaurant owners. Now I get the podcast and I can do that on this. I, you know, I'm making connections. I'm, I'm trying to get back around to the point. I am going to have Fred Belts on from Oak Hill. We are going to record this week. It's going to be probably identical to the conversation we had that did not get recorded last week, but what are you going to do? Um, he just wanted to control the message. He wanted to know exactly how is this interview going to go? Exactly how? And by the way, the, the idea of me sending things to people ahead of time and then them listening and saying this can't air, that happened a few times. That, that happened several, and, and the, the reason it couldn't air was always so insignificant to anyone who would be hearing it. You know what I mean? I had this other group, this other owner of a business one time I did an interview with. I actually drove out to their place and did an interview with my own equipment. I come back, it airs, it goes up online, they say you have to take it down. Why do I have to take it down? Well, because when you asked about A... The answer we gave, we forgot to mention so-and-so, and that person will be hurt if they hear it. And you go, oh, come on. So a lot of times, I would just lie to people. I shouldn't say a lot of times I would lie to people. I would say sometimes when I sniffed this situation, when I, ha- when I thought I had a situation on my hands where somebody was going to say, hey, that can't air, I would just um, tell them like, yeah, unfortunately, it's out of my hands. You know, I can't really get a hold of it until it airs. And once it airs, you know, it's out there. Nothing I can do. And I did that a few times. I feel bad. But, you know, what are you going to do? I knew anytime anyone listened to anything, they were going to say no good. So Fred wanted to do a rehearsal here's what I knew I didn't want to do with Fred I didn't want to record it because I tried to tell him I I tried to say Fred I'm just going to ask you about the history of Oak Hill that's it maybe a little bit about membership and then you know it'll it'll air and and I'll just I'll record it and I probably could have like bullied my way into recording that but I'm just so afraid he would have said I need to hear it and then he would have said nope can't air not perfect I said um (laughs) So I'm going to interview Fred this week. It's not going to air for a couple of weeks. I'm going to interview Mark Mara and Shane Allen first, and that will be a week from today, next Sunday's interview. 
Mark Marin and Shane Allen are the gentleman's club from the zone, and they were let go two days ago. On Friday, these two gentlemen got laid off from the zone, which I think is Stevens Media Group. And uh, I don't know Shane at all. In fact, if Shane's listening to this, this is probably news to him because I'm, I'm, I'm a little bit buddies with Mark. I don't want to overrepresent. I'm not great friends with Mark. I'm not best friends with him. I'm not even, you know, buddies with him. I'm just acquaintances with Mark. I know him a tiny, tiny bit. I'm a fan of theirs. I would always listen to their clips, not even just recently, back even when I still worked in radio. I would always listen to their clips and always thought that they were very funny guys. They're very smart guys. And they had that brand of, like, smart humor that I just used to think was awesome. And anyway, they got laid off. And it's, I think it's just another sign of the times for radio. I think radio, and I'll talk about this with them, uh, I think radio has recognized that, look, we just, we aren't going to win back audiences that are under the age of 35, maybe 40, 35, 40. I think they just realized, they're like, look, We've got 20 years or so left here because our youngest listeners are in their 40s. And uh, we need to go all in on brands that people over 40 are going to recognize and be willing to run with. And uh, people will advertise in these shows. Anything that targets an audience lower than that, we just can't justify anymore. I think that's what we're seeing. And I don't, I'll talk to those guys a little bit more about that. But I, I think that's, you know, the more and more I see, it's just a matter of we, we need to cash in on what we have because there's not a lot of confidence in the future, I think. So um, anyway, that'll be next Sunday. And then the, the Sunday after that, we'll do Fred Belts probably. Uh, a few topics for today's podcast. The, I know I'm, I'm late to the game. Two documentaries. One I'm late to the game on, one I'm early to the game on. The uh, Epstein documentary on Netflix, and then the um, Fear City documentary, the one about the New York City Mafia. Let's talk about Epstein first, because that one I'm late to the game on. I think I'm the last person in America to see that, but I did finally watch it. And, uh, of course, it's everything you expect it to be. It's disgusting. It's terrible. The stories are heartbreaking. The women who come forward are, are so brave. And, you know, thinking about them telling those stories on camera, it's like, wow. Uh, where did they get they, where did they get these, these strong women? And then you see how strong these women are, and you think about what happened to them, the position they were put on it in, and you start to realize what a monster this guy was, but also how power can manipulate, power and money can manipulate. Because in the documentary, they talk about these young girls being brought from West Palm Beach, which is very much a normal town, over to Palm Beach Island, which is where the rich and the elite live, and feeling like they're in a different world. And then they get ushered into this guy's mansion, and you know they're told that he's a billionaire and they're going to make a ton of money, and then all of a sudden, next thing you know, he's on top of them. And it's disgusting, but it also shows you how when you're taken out of your element and you're put into this world of, you know, lavish money and, and uh, you know, private islands and apartments in France and New York and Palm Beach, you start to just realize, like, power can be – power is the, the, the greatest influence in the world, I guess, is what I'm trying to say. It's So you see that through the documentary. And the thing I think, you know, what's going on in real life right now with this – is this Ghislaine Maxwell has been arrested. And um, I think you, you find out throughout the documentary she's very much so complicit in a lot of these crimes. I think she was the one who was sort of Epstein's right-hand woman 
really, you know, help feeding his perverseness. And don't know if she's doing it because she's also feeling the same stuff, or or was she just being given this lifestyle that was so lavish as well that she was just willing to do anything to keep it going? Because remember, some people will just do anything for money and power. They'll sell their souls, and that might be where this girl was. Uh, this week, the Epstein um, Epstein files got released, and so we got to see, and I think one of the big bombshells was this email between Epstein and Ghislaine, Ghislaine, Ghislaine whatever the hell her name is, where she's written a statement of innocence, and she's actually running it by Jeffrey Epstein to make sure he approves of her state of innocence, her statement of innocence which I think just shows more of the control this guy had over the people around him. You can see in the interviews that they did with Jeffrey Epstein, in those interviews, you can see it. You can see that he treats the people interrogating him in a condescending way, and he kind of treats them like they're the idiots for even having questions about what he's up to. And you can just see, and and you know, thank God, obviously, the, the jig is up at this point, but you can just see how he pulled it off for so long, how the money and the power he had, coupled with his attitude, his psychological manner in which he dealt with people, you can just see where he was able to manipulate even police officers, you know, district attorneys. He was able to manipulate. It's, it's unbelievable. The guy got arrested and should have gone to jail for a very long time back in like 2009. He ended up getting... Uh, what did he get? He got uh, 18 months, but check this out. For the 18 months, he got special permission to have work uh, privileges, which meant that he got to leave jail every single day. For 18 months, he got to leave jail all, every day except Sunday, I should say, six days a week from like 8 a.m. to 8 p.m. to go to quote-unquote work. And he had a bunch of rules. He wasn't allowed to leave the area, blah, blah, blah. But they've got all kinds of surveillance on him leaving the area all the time during those 12 hours. And I wouldn't be surprised if he didn't get back in time many times. Uh, and the only thing that made it so he was able to do that was because he could pay for his own private security not pri i shouldn't say private security because it was actually assigned by the jail so the jail had to assign deputies to escort him during his work time and he was able to pay for that so he was able to get those privileges and that was you know you see that and you just go jesus christ this guy owned even the police he owned the court system the the jail this guy spent 18 months in jail he didn't actually spend 18 months in jail he just slept at jail and then they show you where he was staying at jail, and he wasn't staying with the other inmates. He had his own area with a workout room and a TV. I mean, the guy basically had to be slightly inconvenienced for 18 months at night only. That was his jail sentence. That was his payback for raping hundreds of women. It's just fucking sick, man. It's just sick. So uh, one thing, though, controversial that I picked up from the documentary is my opinion on I don't think he was murdered and I know that's a big thing everyone's like you got to be an idiot to think this guy committed suicide I I don't think so uh I'll tell you why because of something I already mentioned the interviews that he did Jeffrey Epstein had a lot of opportunities to be on camera on the record talking about things that did or did not happen and if he was, you know, if there were these powers at B who needed him dead because they couldn't afford him talking, they would have had him killed the second 
the second there was even a sniff of him getting caught, he would have been killed. The fact that he was caught and had many opportunities to talk to the authorities, it tells me that I think that he did commit suicide, plus how much he wanted to be in control. Remember everything I said about power, how much he wanted to be in control, how much power meant to him. I, I just, it, 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 it really just reeks of committing suicide. The evidence against him committing suicide are two things also that I, I just, I can explain. So one of them is, well, the way his neck broke isn't consistent with when you hang yourself. But when they talk to the doctor, you'll notice the doctor says, it's rare that your neck would break this way if you hung yourself. Rare. Not impossible, but rare. Not good enough for me. Sorry. The other thing is they say, well, you know, this guy was high security, but he was kept in this part of this jail where these two security guards fell asleep and the cameras weren't working. Well, that sounds extremely suspect because you think, well, this is a high profile criminal. He's probably in this very, uh, you know, very high tech prison There's probably a ton of security. What you find out in the documentary is, no, actually, he was in a piece of shit jail. The jail he was staying in was super old and it was very much so... um, it was very much so not a tech-savvy place. It was, it, was, uh, it was shit, you know? So these security guards falling asleep and these security cameras breaking, uh, it sounded actually pretty consistent with the conditions of that particular facility. So I just, I still, I got the guy as having killed himself. I think it was suicide. I don't think Jeffrey Epstein was murdered. He just would have been murdered so, so much earlier than he actually was if it was a hit. And one last note, one of my favorite things about the Epstein was that both, you know, it can't get that political because both sides have a major faux pas in that Bill Clinton and Donald Trump were both, you know, alleged to have been in his company many, many times. Uh, you know, look, Clinton, we already know, is kind of a creep. He might have been a somewhat brilliant politician, but we all know he's a creep. And... Uh, he lies. He says he's never been to the private island. Meanwhile, they have his name on flight logs, and they have pictures, or they have a, not pictures, they have a witness, I should say. They have a witness who, who puts him there, uh, several witnesses. Then you've got, on the other side, so that that's a that's a, a, a knock on the liberals, right? But then on the other side, you get the knock, you get Donald Trump, who's on record several times, granted the Howard Stern show. Which, by the way, I'm going to bring up Howard again in a minute because he was right about Ellen, wasn't he? Holy crap! But anyway, uh, Trump was on the Ellen uh, was on the Howard Stern show, and he was talking about you know he said a bunch of creepy shit. You can pull a bunch of excerpts out of what he said, and and um, you know it, it just looks bad for both. It, whether they were up to no good or not, it looks terrible for everybody who was even close to that situation. The lawyer, Alan Dershowitz. Oh, God, the Epstein files that just came out this week. I mean, this dude looks terribly guilty. And, you know, watching old, powerful men lie is one of my favorite things because they get angry when they lie. Dershowitz in the documentary saying, I was never there. And he's yelling at the camera. And then there's just tons of evidence that he was. Just tons. It's just gross. It's disgusting. I said I was to Howard with Ellen. Um, 
uh, I'll get back to the documentaries in a second, but it just reminded me, because I don't have a lot to say about this, but did you see Ellen DeGeneres now is coming under heat because they're saying that the uh, work culture at the Ellen DeGeneres show is toxic, that the producers and a lot of the people in charge are just jerks, basically. They're assholes, and they, speaking of power and control, they use power and control, and they've been churning through employees for years, and the whole idea of be kind, which is Ellen's whole thing, a lot of former workers have come out and said, look, the behind the scenes of the Ellen show is anything but quote unquote be kind. This is, this is, uh, it's a, it's a terrible work environment. It's very toxic. I believe it. I, I do believe it. And I'll tell you when I mentioned Howard, Howard has said for years, I've been a Howard Stern listener for, since the early two thousands, Howard has said for years that Ellen was a mean person, that she was a mean girl, that she was, um, I think, uh, Oh, God, I don't want to put these words in Howard's mouth because I don't remember if this was Howard that said it or not, but it was somebody said at some point, it's a good analogy that you hear a lot, and I think describes a lot of you know middle management when middle management is a little overly harsh. It's uh, He basically said Ellen never got to sit with the cool kids at lunch, and she's still punishing the cool kids to this day. And I guess I can see that. You know, she's friends, obviously. She's one of the most famous people in the country, and she's friends with all the cool kids. There's no doubt about that. Um, but I think that it's that thing where it's like Lindsay Lohan's character in Mean Girls. <laughs> it's a terrible example. It's, you know, you were never one of the cool kids. Now you are one of the cool kids. But instead of sort of leaving the door open or sending the elevator back down for the people who you used to sit with at lunch, now you're with the cool kids pointing and laughing at that table you used to sit at saying, Look, you're not cool enough to sit with us. So Ellen came out and, of course, said she didn't know anything about it. Uh, do I believe that? I don't know. I, I think she probably just found it very convenient to look the other way. I think she hired people to do everything for her. I wouldn't be shocked if Ellen's job was actually pretty easy. You know, if she basically had some feedback on, here's what we're thinking for the show. Here's 10 ideas. Here's guests. And Ellen basically just got to point at those things and say, yes, no, yes, yes, no. Uh, yes and no. And then the producers would go back and just make it all happen. It, it would be my guess on how the show worked. I don't know. I had never worked there. It would be my guess. And, uh, you know, and the people under Ellen probably, knowing that Ellen wasn't overseeing them all that strictly, took the opportunity to just kind of power trip. So the other documentary, though, that I watch, which I think I might be ahead of the curve on, is this Fear City, The Mafia versus New York City on Netflix. This is very fascinating, this documentary. This is about the 1970s and 1980s and the mafia and how the mafia ruled New York City. And it's got everything in it. I mean, it's, it's, they've got a lot, of, they've got a couple former mobsters, but what they really have is all the FBI agents talking about how this went from uh, them really not knowing how to control the mob all the way down to them finally being able to bust the mob. And, and in a gist, and it's a three episode documentary. So I wish they took a little more time with it, to be honest. I could have watched a lot more. But the gist is, you know, in the 70s, the mafia really owned New York, and, and the FBI really just didn't know kind of how to take down the mafia. So they, they were just arresting as many mafia people as they could, but the mafia people just kept multiplying. That was the problem. So they would, you know, a couple mafia guys would extort someone or they would beat someone up or in some cases even kill somebody. And the FBI, of course, would make those arrests and get those guys in jail. But what would happen next is somebody who was waiting in the wings would just take their spots on the street and 
they knew the mafia was this organized structure that had like, you know, you've got the soldiers, then you've got the captains, then you've got the underboss, then you've got the boss. They knew it was an organization. They just could never tie anything to the top of the organization. They were all, because the soldiers were the ones committing all the actual crimes. The boss, the underboss, even the captains many times were never getting their hands dirty on anything. And so that was why the FBI was just never able to do anything. They could never clean up the streets. Well, that's when RICO, the, um, and I don't remember what RICO stands for, but it was basically a law, the RICO law, which made it possible to, to arrest somebody for ordering a crime. Okay, I guess prior to this, it wasn't illegal to order a crime. If I told you to rob a bank and you robbed a bank and got caught, you got in trouble, but I didn't. And I guess that was that old, that's where that old adage came from with the, you know, if all your friends are jumping off a bridge, are you going to jump off a bridge too? <laughs> but uh, but it, it, the RICO law made that different. The RICO law said, hey, you're under arrest for robbing the bank, but you're under arrest for also telling him to rob the bank. Well, the reason that was so significant was because that meant that if, the FBI could prove that those orders were coming from the top that now they could arrest all the way up to the boss. And so the documentary goes through and shows you, first of all, how they got surveillance on all these guys. And in a bunch of different cases, it was really exhilarating. You know, they were faking that the, 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 the boss's TV was having reception issues. So the boss would call the cable company and they would send in an under undercover FBI guy as the cable company. And at one point, the, the undercover FBI guy who has to plant the bug in the boss's house gets ballsy and asks the underboss to help him install this device in the TV that he tells him is going to help the reception. But in reality, he's installing the bug in the house at the time. And so, oh, so good. But they end up, basically, they got to figure out how are they going to take down the whole mafia. So they know that the mafia has got their hands in all kinds of different things. Some legit businesses, some illegal businesses, you know, they're doing gambling and prostitution and drugs, of course. But then they're also in, involved in, like, construction and law and things like that that are just, you're going, wow, these guys really have their tentacles in everything. They end up um, sort of busting this one specific scheme that the mafia had going on called the concrete club which basically meant in new york city they had eight construction companies that the mafia controlled and they did it through bid rigging which is if a job was worth eight million dollars they would they would designate which construction company was going to get that job the mafia would make that decision and they would do it like this. They would tell that construction company, hey, you're going to put in a bid for $10 million. And then these other seven, we're going to have you all put in bids too, but they're all going to be higher than $10 million. All but guaranteeing that the construction company that put in the bid for the $10 million will get the job, right? Even though the job's only worth $8 million. So they would do the job, they'd have $2 million left over, and that's how the mafia was making money for a long time off of this construction scheme they had going on called the Concrete Club. Anything over $2 million was under the mafia's control. They controlled these eight. They extorted these eight construction companies. And, you know, the construction companies, by kicking up to the mafia, guarantee themselves that they're going to get one out of every eight big jobs. And the 70s and 80s was a major time for New York City to boom. Skyscrapers were built at that time. There was a ton of construction in Manhattan especially. But all throughout the five boroughs, it was just a great time to be in construction in New York City. And with the mafia owning these eight construction companies and deciding who was going to get what job when, if you were involved at these construction companies, 
and you didn't mind kicking up profit to the mafia, it actually worked in your favor because you were basically guaranteed. It wasn't fair is what it was. It was all rigged. But you were still guaranteed you were going to get some of those jobs as long as you kicked up to the boss, right? So the FBI sort of stumbled upon that and then connected a few murders uh, going that were happening at, at lower levels of the mafia and proved that there was a commission that they had, you know, all the bosses were meeting and discussing business matters and blah, blah, blah. But it's a great documentary. I mean, it's really good and I highly recommend it. It's called Fear City. It's on Netflix right now. Um, I get, the only other thing I really wanted to comment on was sports coming back. Tried to watch a little baseball. I haven't watched it. I thought I would be really excited for sports to be back, but I'll, I'll tell you the truth. I haven't watched a ton. I, I tuned into a little baseball. I've watched an inning here and an inning there. Uh, it's funny. You know, it's, it's, I don't think it's stupid that they have the cardboard cutouts in the stands, but I, it's also, it, it's, boy, it's going to be a weird time in history, isn't it? It's going to be one of those things where you're watching highlight packages for Major League Baseball, and these highlights are just going to stand out. I'm talking 20 years from now. You know, when they go over the career of a guy and they show something from every year, he hit this major home run and that major had that major catch or whatever, and they're showing old highlights. And the ones from 2020 are going to look so goofy inside those highlight packages. I bet they won't use them as often as they don't have to. Uh, the uh, basketball and hockey being back yesterday. Basketball is exciting. You know, I, these guys wanted to play. I thought that was fun to watch that because these guys, they want to be there. Hockey, I don't watch much of. I can't I can't say I watched any hockey. But basketball, I think, is fun and exciting. And the NBA has always got a bad rap. But when these guys are playing hard, it's it's to, to me, it's the most exciting stuff there is. NBA conference championships and finals every year, I just think, is some of the best sports on TV, period. Uh, but I'll admit and I'll, I'll, I'll concede that usually regular season basketball isn't exactly the world's most exciting uh, basketball. But baseball's been pretty fun. And the other thing I love about baseball this year is that the uh, season being so short, I love the fact that everything is so much more important this year. These games count for it. It just really felt like in the past it was all so slow with baseball. Even the way the season progressed – you know, you never felt like you had these intense games until the very end of the season and then the playoffs because every game counted so little. And when things slipped away from you, they slipped away slowly. Or when you pulled away, you pulled away slowly. And there were such just long periods. I'll put it this way. I'll, I'll, this is what I think I'm trying to say. Between April and September every year, there's just long periods of it not feeling like the games mean much for baseball. And that fixed it this year. This year, the games all mean a lot. Almost every game counts for about what one entire series would have counted for last year. And I think it might fix baseball. I don't think they're going to stick with it. I think they're going to go back to the old way as soon as they can. But I, to me at least, it made baseball a hell of a lot more exciting. So I'm enjoying watching what I am watching. I haven't watched that much, as I said, but I'm enjoying watching what I am watching. All right, that'll do it. Um, next two weeks, guests... Gentlemen's Club next Sunday. Fred Belts, the historian from Oak Hill, the following Sunday, or vice versa. We'll see how the interviews lay out and who can record when. Uh, neither one of them are actually recorded yet as we speak, so anything can happen. But in the meantime, thank you so much for listening. We'll talk next Sunday.